Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you. It's great to be worshiping with you guys. And man, we are fired up about who Jesus Christ is. That's why we're here, to make much of Jesus Christ. You know, we're in a series here called Greater, and we're talking about Jesus above all others. In fact, we're in Hebrews chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. As we walk through this, we're talking about Greater, Jesus my sacrifice. That's where we are right now. Greater, Jesus my sacrifice. Over halfway through this series, and uh, just love the different depths that we've been able to kind of bring in and learn as we've been able to walk through Hebrews. You know, remember, the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish people, right? It's written to the Hebrews. Like, that's what the title comes from. And so that means as the author's communicating there, he's taking a lot of people who had Old Testament experience, they understood what it was to kind of live under the law, and they were now with Jesus Christ, they were trusting him as Savior. And so this author is like, hey, just so you know, you haven't walked away from what God wants done and you're doing the wrong thing, you're doing exactly what he wants. Everything Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus Christ as the fulfillment. This was but a shadow. You're following through. You're meeting the one who is the substance, Jesus Christ himself. So in so many facets, he's beginning to teach them some of these Old Testament truths and showing them how it was but a shadow pointing forward to Jesus Christ, that Jesus is our hope. Everybody just say, he's our hope. And he's our hope, and that's what it's all about. So as we walk through this uh, kind of section here in Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to be learning a lot today uh, about what it means to trust in Jesus and come to him and approach him with confidence. And it's a sweet privilege along the way. You know, as we look at this, we talked about this several weeks back, is because there's so much Old Testament information, there's actually a lot of times where uh, maybe there's pieces of information we didn't know as much of, things that we weren't quite caught up on, and, and so we need to kind of catch up on that. So a lot like when you're watching a series, and uh, maybe you're watching some episode, and you forgot all about what was going on in a prior year or a prior episode, and so they give you a little trailer to help keep you caught up, like, remember this guy, remember this event, this is the stuff that happened, and so now that you know that, this episode will make a lot more sense, right? And so we're going to be going through a trailer each week as well. In fact, I'm your trailer, and so we're going to be walking through a little bit of a trailer today. There's a talk here today about the tabernacle and how that applies to us having a, a, an ability to have God in our lives and a presence of God right here with us as we approach him, and what does it mean and what does it look like? So let's make sure that we walk through this just a little bit and we grasp a little bit of the tabernacle, all right? So that said, if you remember this uh, photo here, uh, we actually went through this a week or two back and used this several times over uh, uh, over the course of years here, but this is probably the best image I've ever seen painted for what the experience would have been like for the Jewish people to have the tabernacle, this tent out there in the middle, the bigger tent with the fence around it, to have that with the presence of God through the pillar of fire as they traveled in the wilderness. So there was 40 years that Israel was traveling in the wilderness. It was before they were ever established as a nation with their own land and their own uh, city capitals and all that. They were wandering in the desert and they had this tabernacle that God had told them exactly how to build and the pillar of fire just beaming forth over the top of 
of it, the very presence of God right there with them. It was this super huge deal, and uh, they were able to celebrate that. By the way, can you imagine if your plan was to attack Israel? And so you sneak up to glance over the mountain down into the bottom where they're at, and you see this. And you're like, what is that? This big giant pillar of fire beaming forth over the top of the tabernacle as God says, I am present here. Man, he gave such protection just by his presence. And then on top of that, providing in so many ways for them, leading and guiding and them being able to have sin set aside and all of it here at this tabernacle, the presence of God in this world. It's a huge deal. And uh, so I love this image. Um, Maybe let's get a little bit richer understanding of it, though. Let's dig in a little bit. So here's a bird's eye view of what it would look like. Zooming in a little bit, we get kind of a bird's eye view of this. By the way, just so you know, some of these images here now come from uh, something that I found actually uh, as an application on the iPad. You can download it for free, and, and it's really phenomenal. It's got some great graphic to it. So just using that, but you can see this bird's eye view. You see this kind of fence line around the outside that's actually just made of fabrics, and you see the red front there. That's actually called the gate. Granted, it was fabric, but it was called the gate. Remember when Jesus said, I am the gate. That's what he's talking about. Like, I am the entrance into connection and relationship with God Almighty, right? Jesus giving that hope. And so you have this fence line around. As you come in, you can see the altar right up front there, right? The first thing you would run into if you were coming up would be this altar. And so this is where the people would come to have their sin covered, This is where the people would come with their spotless lamb, knowing their sin. They would come up with the lamb, and the priest would take it there at the altar and slaughter that animal and put it on this altar, this fire. So you can imagine the awareness that people had of their sin as they had to bring forward an animal and bring it to this burning altar and set it up. And that was the way they had this kind of sin set aside for that time. And uh, it was a huge deal. You can imagine how impactful it was to them that sin mattered. Can I just say probably we've lost a bunch of that in America today. And really it becomes too lighthearted with sin. And as believers thinking that we can just go on sinning because, right? It's super clear in Romans 6 and other places, not that, but, but we just get very dismissive and be careful we have coverage of sin, and sin is wrong. It stands, uh, puts us in a bad stead with our God, and we need coverage from it. Jesus Christ dying on the cross, our hope, right? They had a very palpable sense of that as they saw this. By the way, if you look right behind that altar, you can see a little, looks like a bird bath, right? A little round thing. It's actually fairly large. It was uh, a place that the priests would go to clean up there. They would cleanse themselves there before then the priests would go into the tent that's behind it, that tabernacle. So you can see that tent behind. Only the priests would go there. Everybody say only priests. Only the priests could go into the tent behind that circular bath. And uh, everybody else, you had to stop at the altar. You got your sin covered. You had to back out. The presence of God could only be experienced by the priests. By the way, super huge deal then when Peter says in 1 Peter, you are a royal priesthood. And he calls us priests, giving us now that privilege. And it's a huge deal for us to be able to grasp that, right? So the priests were the only ones who could go in to that tabernacle. It was an amazing moment for them to be able to step in, but not for everybody else. Well, what was it like for everybody else? 
What was it like for them to be stepping up to this fence line and coming up to the gate and then stepping inside where the altar was? So we just thought we'd kind of run forward here and give you a little bit of a taste of what it would be like from their perspective. Somebody coming up with a lamb needing to have it covered. So here we go. And let's go ahead and walk it on in. So we're coming up to this Uh, Pretty heavy fabric, this gate, if you will. And then um, on the other side of it is the altar. That's where we're going to need to get to to be talking with the priest. And so as we would come up, the gates would then open. And you would step through and be able to go up and meet the priest in front of the giant burning fire on the altar. Right? I think it becomes super palpable and real. It becomes very obvious the problem that sin is when you're standing in front of a giant burning fire that is needed to be able to cover with sacrifice, right? And so this is what the people would approach. Now remember, they've seen over the top of that tent in back, you can see the tent behind it perspective-wise, and this is where the pillar of fire would reside by night. They know this place. This is the holiness of God. And so as they approached, they're getting their sin cared for and covered and then backing back out. The tabernacle is what's behind, okay? So that gives us at least a little bit of an understanding of kind of what they were thinking, what they would have been experiencing or known of experience from before. This is an understanding and an approach of the tabernacle. Now let's dive in to the passage and we're going to see some more brought out. All right. So turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Hebrews 9, starting in verse 1. And uh, point number one, thank God that we no longer interact with him through an earthly tabernacle. Thank God that we no longer interact with him through an earthly tabernacle. In other words, thank God that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again, that we're not approaching some tent and that we're not coming up to an altar and sacrificing over and over and over and over for our sinfulness. Thank God we have Jesus Christ as our lamb of God. And all of God's people said, and man, huge deal. So he starts to go through the first covenant and starts to transition over to the tabernacle. So here we go. Verse 1. He says, Now, even the first covenant had uh, regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, uh, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. And let's just hold right there. He starts out, Now. You know, he's connecting this back together with the end of chapter 8 where he just got done saying, Look, the old covenant is obsolete. The old covenant is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's done. Like everybody just say fulfilled, right? It's fulfilled in Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He was able to completely master all of and fulfill the law. And then he ends up becoming not only the fulfiller of the doing of it, now he becomes the sacrifice for you and me, the lamb that is being pointed to by it. Jesus Christ, he has fulfilled the law. So he says, now, he's like, yeah, there was this uh, obsoleted first covenant, but even the first covenant had regulations for worship. He's like, look, man, there was still value to it. Like there was worship that was being given. There was regulations on how to walk through things. There was an understanding. And all of those point forward to Jesus Christ. He's like, there was an understanding of worship that took place in a way to approach God. There were these regulations of Uh, celebrating him. There was, if you will, an encounter, exalt, engage, understanding of how to come before their God. 
And they grasped some of that through the uh, old covenant, and we grasp so much more now through the new covenant. But they still had the encounter, exalt, engage concept going on with the sacrifice and the coverage. It was a very physical, uh, human, if you will, uh, earthly, but it was a connection to God himself in worship. It says, in an earthly place of holiness. And this is a super huge deal. It's a place that is physical, tangible, and earthly, but of holiness. It is the almighty presence of God before the people. It is God with us. It is God in all of his grandeur and all of his glory. It is the pillar of fire by by night. It is all of that right with the people. The, The ability for us to understand God and approach God so covered in this with the old covenant and so much more in the new covenant. It's a way for the holiness of the almighty king of the universe to be interacting with man. He's like, yeah, there was earthly place and yet it had holiness. It says, for a tent was prepared. And again, he's talking about this tent, this tabernacle that we just saw, right? This tabernacle that was right behind the altar and right behind the bath was the tabernacle, the actual tent. And he's like, that tent was built and it was built by rules. God actually told Moses exactly how wide, exactly how high, exactly how deep, exactly what to use as elements on it. He guided the whole thing through because there was meaning to it. He was like, Moses, be careful on this one. You're building a shadow. And I need it to be reflecting close enough what I'm pointing to. So don't change any of this. This is exactly what it should look like. Have you ever looked at a shadow and tried to figure out what it was coming from? Have you ever done that? Where you're glaring at a shadow, you're like, what is that? And like, you know, if it comes from a ball, it's pretty obvious, right? You're like, there must be a ball around here somewhere. It's circular, right? But when it's got all these intricacies and details, it's a lot more complicated. And he's like, listen, be careful. You're making a shadow that they're going to be looking at, and I need them to be able to see the object that's actually having the light cast on it. Jesus Christ himself, he is the substance So be careful with the detail, follow through with it. And so, yeah, there was a tent that was prepared according to God's guidance on this. And uh, this tabernacle was a big deal. Only the priests could enter in. We said that already. Only the priests could enter. Everybody else had to stay back by the altar or step out of the fence line, right? So what was it like for a priest to step in to this tabernacle? So let's go ahead and... uh, throw this image up. So just so you know, this is what it would have looked like, something like this. It actually talks about gold pillars and then gold on the inside. It talks about this big fabric kind of gate that would be there or or, um, curtain in front. And so as you step through this first curtain, you'd be stepping into the front of the tent. By the way, just so you know, this dimension of this LED wall, did you notice that we changed the LED wall? If you did not notice that we changed the LED wall, I hope that a crime does not happen in front of you and and you have to be the witness. But we changed the LED wall, right? And so we changed the dimensions. The dimensions of this wall is actually 14 and a half feet by 14 and a half feet. That's the exact dimensions here. By the way, just so you know, that is the exact dimensions of the tabernacle. 14 and a half feet by 14 and a half feet. Literally, it was this dimension, okay? And so let's go ahead and walk inside. Let's take a look at what it was like for the priest stepping into this. Can you imagine now? 
You're standing here, you're getting ready to go in, and you know you're stepping into the presence of the holy God of the universe, and he doesn't toy with sin. Can you imagine how your stomach might feel as you're beginning to step inside? And as you step in, you can see these items here. There's actually three items here in the front place. Notice there's a curtain in the back, right? So there's really two sections to this. So did you ever buy a tent as a family? And uh, you have a tent, and it's just like a simple tent. You step in, and like, that's it. It's a square, right? Like, that's, that's kind of the low man's tent. Have you ever bought the other tent where you step in, and there's a zipped lining? There's like a whole other portion back there. And you unzip that, and you step through, and like, that's where mom and dad can sleep, and the kids are up here, right? It's like this really Taj Mahal high-end tent where you're separated by a thin piece of fabric, like that kind of thing, right? That's what we're talking about here. This is a tent with two sections, Okay, and the front section is called the holy place, and that's where you come into first as the priest. He would enter in here, and you see these three pieces. So first you have over here the bread, and this is called the bread of the presence. This was a celebration of the bread, basically the provision of God to all of the 12 tribes. So there's 12 loaves of bread that are available here. And uh, they would eat those uh, every Sabbath. They would celebrate all that God is doing for the tribes and all that God was providing in Israel. So this was a celebration of the provision of God, right? So you have the bread in there. And then the other thing you have is the lampstand. You have the candle. And uh, if you ever heard about the candle being in the tabernacle and you thought that it was kind of like this big and it would sit on a table or something, yeah, nuh-uh. It's like five feet tall, okay? It's actually a little bit over five feet tall. So this is about the right height right here. They would actually come up to it, and they would be lighting it right at eye height, and they would adjust the wicks and the oil. It is huge, and uh, five feet tall on the lampstand, and it's the only light in the room. Notice that the walls are gold. That was according to God's direction. Everything inside the tabernacle, gold. Everything outside, bronze. Like, hey man, the things that are of man and of sin, bronze. The things that are of God and his holiness, gold, top to bottom. So they actually took these slats of wood and they painted gold on them, really heavy level of gold on that, so that it was this bright, sparkling gold. And the only light in the room was the lampstand. So as the curtain closed down, it was pitch black, unless you had the lamp going, you had the candles going. And as those seven candles lit, they lit the room. And again, just as this is the provision of God, so this is the guidance of God. Now as you move forward in this representing Jesus Christ, this is the provision that God gives us through Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in him providing through him. And then Jesus, who is the light of the world. And it actually says in Revelation 22, when it speaks of the temple there, it says that he is the only light, no sun and moon and stars needed. That's exactly what's going on in here. God is using a reference and saying, Jesus is all you need. He is your light. He is your provision. He is your everything. And then the third piece is the altar of incense. Being able to approach and talk with God Almighty and commune. That incense would waft up the smoke that would end up going through the second curtain. And it would go back to the holy of holies, the most holy place. It was your communion with God himself. And it would connect across the curtain. They would keep that stoked daily. And so, in fact, the job of the priest was to keep the bread and the candles and the incense going and have the prayer going. Notice this, the people of Israel could not come in and go to the altar of incense to pray. That alone was a priest who represented the people. He came to this spot. 
And that's what was going on in Old Testament, okay? So this is what it looked like. Have you ever described your room, uh, like in your house, and you're like, hey, go into my living room, and I describe it like, you know, there's a large couch, there's a smaller couch, there's like a TV, you know, and, and you step in the room, and you're like, oh, this must be what he's talking about. I see those three things. But there's other things there, right? Yeah, that's not what's going on here. There's not other things. When he says, these are the things, these are the only things, and they have massive meaning. God providing through Jesus Christ, God leading in Jesus Christ, and God giving us access through Jesus Christ. This room right here represents what you and I can have every single day. That's what's going on. Hope in him. And this was but a shadow. Now we get to live it out. Provision from Christ, guidance from Christ, and access through Christ. May God get all the glory. This is what the priests stepped into. This is an amazing privilege to be able to have, and many of the priests actually would uh, have the responsibility of praying once per day, and it was one guy at a time going in and going there, all right? So do you remember uh, a couple weeks back, month back, we were going through some of the Christmas stories, and as we were going through it, we were talking about one specific guy, Zechariah, and he actually was told about his son, John. He was going to have a son, John the Baptist. Well, he was actually communicating with God. He was praying. He was a priest. He went to the altar of incense as part of his responsibility. He was right in this, at the altar of incense, praying and communicating with God, when all of a sudden an angel appears, boom! Can you imagine the massive, bright, glorious angel appears in a closed room with gold walls? And it just starts splashing all over the place. And he's like taken aback by it at first, of course, right? And he's listening to, and this angel says, just so you know, you're going to have a son. And he's in the middle of the presence of God and all this miracle stuff going on and he hears it and his first statement is basically, yeah, no way. Dude, do you know how old I am? And he's, so he steps back, he literally says to him, how can I know? And Gabriel's answer was something like this. How can you know? I am an angel. I am standing in the middle of the tabernacle. I am in the basically the presence of God along with you. I am beaming and bouncing off the gold walls. What do you mean? How can you know? Dude, what do you mean? You trust me and your God. And he said, that's it. That's enough of that. You don't speak for nine months, right? Remember that? This is basically what was going on. Now, this is the tabernacle. This is what was going on out in the wilderness. In fact, where Zechariah was, was the temple. It was built off of this and made much more like stone and fixed. But it was this exact thing. This is where he was, the place where the priest goes daily to pray. And this is where it came down. And in the middle of his hearing from God, he went, yeah, but how do I know? And how often is that you and me in our prayer life? where we come before our God and we're asking for something, we're crying out to him on something, we hear, we see, we, but how do I know you're really doing that, God? But, but how do I know you're actually gonna? And we begin to question while we are in the very presence of God himself. And we gotta be careful that we worship the king in the midst of it. So simple question for you. So how's your reverence? So as you enter into the presence of God in prayer, how is your respect of the holy God of the universe? When you enter in, do you take into consideration that you are entering into a place that you have no privilege to get to on your own, but because of Jesus Christ, you have it all? 
He is your provision. He is your light of the world. He is your access. And you in the stunning gold room with your God can be spending time. Are you ready to worship with respect while you come before your king in prayer? What a sweet privilege. Really take it in, man. As you go after prayer this week, may our prayer be different now because we see the access we can have with him. Okay? Point number two. He says, thank God that we no longer have to see him through shadows of what is to come. Thank God that we no longer have to see him through shadows of what is to come. Thank God that we're not having to stare at the floor and look at 2D flats and try to figure out what God is doing, that we can literally see and hear all that Jesus is, that we can know him as our savior, trust him as our Lord, that we can have life because of him, hope because of him, access because of him. Praise God. He starts out now and he says, behind the second curtain was a section called the most holy place. Behind the second, remember as he entered the tabernacle, there was the first curtain that brought you into the holy place. Now behind the second curtain is this place called the most holy place. So what was it like for this person to access? Let's just say it this way. The priests were allowed into the holy place, but only the high priest was allowed into the most holy place. And that just once per year. It's called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Once per year, he could go into the most holy place. So what was it like for the high priest to enter the most holy place? Let's go ahead and take a walk through this one and see a little bit of what's there on this. So as you move forward past the lampstand, past the bread, as you move up to the altar of incense, your access to God Almighty and the hope we have in him, right? You end up having the smoke going up over the curtain and through the curtain, giving you almost access to God in that regard. And as the curtain opens, there is the Ark of the Covenant and gold walls all the way around. By the way, please note, you can see the smoke from the altar of incense. This is a really big deal. Because what was going on is the sweet sense was going through to God Almighty all year long. But actually, when you open up the curtain and step through, the high priest was supposed to take coal and a little bit of the sweet incense and put it into a bowl and step through with it, kind of carrying it across. It is our access into the presence of God himself. And that was set right before the Ark of the Covenant. And he would do a little bit of worship there. And he would take the blood from the spotless lamb and throw that on top of the Ark of the Covenant, covering the sins of Israel. This was the spot of worship, of coverage, and of crying out on behalf of. This is what was taking place. And just so we're clear, this, um, this uh, incense that was going on was actually just in front of the curtain, but it wafted through all year long. And as the curtain was open and they carried it through, it's now connected to the backside. It is our connection to God himself, prayer. It is our hope and our interaction with him. So he now says... There was a section called the most holy place, or if you take it in the literal, holy of holies. Absolute presence of God in this place as he revealed himself right there. It says, having the golden altar of incense. So the altar of incense, the smoke coming across the incense and the bowl that was carried in, this extension of the prayers of the people. 
and uh, going along with that. And it says, and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides by gold. The Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides by gold. You know, when we were in Israel, we were walking along in Jerusalem. And uh, I actually saw uh, a little Ark of the Covenant that was made. It was for sale. And as you were walking by, you could buy an Ark of the Covenant. Can you imagine that? I don't even know how that really works. Like, how do you feel about yourself? You're like, man, had a good year, sold a lot of Ark of the Covenants. Kind of weird, right? So they got this Ark of the Covenant for sale. Didn't have gold on it, by the way, right? And I'm like, why don't they at least make it the right size? It's small. And actually, they were right. I was wrong on the size. I came home and studied a little bit. This is actually very much the right size. So it's about four feet across. It's about two feet high and two feet deep. That's it. Four by two by two. That's kind of about the dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant. And in fact, you see these gold rods going through it? That was not because it was heavy. That was because it was holy. This was an amazing place where God's presence was being put on full display. And this is what was in front of them. It says, the Ark of the Covenant on all sides it had gold. By the way, notice the walls all gold as well around it. And then it says, in which... Like he's starting to say what's inside. Have you ever seen something where you're like, what's in there, right? I know we had our grandson over this past week and uh, uh, our kids had a toy box that they played with. We had a bunch of stuff in the toy box. Well, he ended up finding this little entrance underneath the steps and found the toy box and was just in awe. There was one point where he had the toy box open and he's leaning and I thought he was just gonna fall in. He was leaning in, grabbing stuff and as he pulled stuff out, he was like, he learned the word wow. So he's like, Wow. Wow. Everything he pulled out of the toy box was wow. That's what this guy's doing right now is he's delivering it up. The wow of what's in the Ark of the Covenant. He says, in which, in which was gold, a golden urn holding the manna. A golden urn holding the manna. Do you remember what manna is? Right? So this was the bread that was falling down when they were in the wilderness every day. It was bread that was dropped down by God. He provided it daily for them. It never lasted more than a day, except on Sabbath where you weren't allowed to work. Then it lasted two days. But never could you collect it up. God was like, I am not going to allow you to collect up all the manna and have like months worth so you can just depend on yourself. You're going to be depending on me daily. It's going to fall daily. Trust in me. So that was the manna. It would go rotten within a day. Unless you collected it up and put it in a golden urn and then put it in the Ark of the Covenant, and then it never went bad, right? Everybody just say miracle. He's like, there was a miracle. The manna that should have rotted was actually sitting in there fine. It says, and Aaron's staff that budded. This was a stick that's no longer connected to a tree, but it budded out leaves and flower, saying that God was indicating, Aaron is the one I want to be a leader and the high priest. Aaron being chosen. And that, that stick with the buds on it stayed budded and put in the Ark of the Covenant. Everybody say miracle, right? And, and then the last one and the tablets of the covenant, like the very Ten Commandments given by the presence and the glory of God, brought down from uh, Mount Sinai and placed in here. Miracle. These are all amazing miracles from God that bluntly did not change man's heart. And they were put inside, given God's guidance, God's protection, God's leadership, and yet there was not a change of man's heart. And then what was put over it is a lid. And this lid is actually called uh, the mercy seat. 
This lid right here is gold, and it's got two angels on top, cherubim, and it's actually the ones that are the protectors and the definers of God's glory, declaring out holy, holy, holy. This is an amazing spot. It's called the mercy seat, the lid that sits on top, the blood that lands on, bringing forgiveness for humanity and their sinfulness. The Ark of the Covenant representing God has a plan. And everybody just say, God has a plan. Please hear me. We're being told that we have the privilege of stepping into the presence of God Almighty and interacting with Him, being blown away by who He is, stunned with all He's doing. It says that those three things are in there. It says, above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. They were just standing there on either side, fixed into it in gold. And as the light splashed down of the glory of God, they would cast shadow itself. It was saying, we're here to protect the very glory of God. So what would the high priest actually have seen? If he walked in here and he saw this Ark of the Covenant, what was going on with the glory of God? It probably looked a little bit more like this. Let's go ahead and throw the next image up. So you can imagine as God now blasts his presence into the place and the high priest is in there for just a short time interacting with the glory and the grandeur and the greatness of God saying stunningly, thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. Man, just so we're clear, you and I have this access every single day. Peter says, you, if you have trusted Christ, are a priest a royal priest, you can enter in all the way into the presence of the almighty glory of God. May your prayer be rocked with the privilege as you step into his presence. Know this, you get to step into a room of gold and celebrate the provision and celebrate the guidance from the one who is the light of the world. And you get to approach the King of Kings because of the blood of Christ and make sure that your prayer is rocked with his glory, privilege. And make sure that this week as we go out, that your prayer takes on a next level as you just take a moment to imagine the gold room. As you take a moment to imagine the bread and the light, and it's splashing off the gold, and you come up to the altar of incense, privilege, as you begin to interact with the God of the universe. May he get all the glory. And all of God's people said, amen, man. Huge deal, huge privilege that we can have with him. May we truly worship and praise his name. You know, it says at the end here, uh, of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. I love it. He's like, hey, here's a bunch of details. Not going to talk about it. So like steps back from it. There's so much that we could get from all of these. You could probably make a series of this whole thing just going piece by piece of the privilege we have with our God. But know this. Here is what God says. This body, if you trust in Christ, temple of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit with and the most holy place within your soul. And you can approach spiritually up to your God in the presence of your heart, worshiping him. That's for the here and now. And hang on, because it's so much bigger. As we get home to glory in eternity, we are going to be able to be in the presence of God forever. It says that the light of the room is Jesus alone. He alone is the light beaming off. No need for sun, moon, and stars. 
It says that there's a lampstand beside. It says the presence of the throne of God. And it actually says the dimensions are an exact cube, exactly the same as the most holy place when you go into the back of it, 15 by 15 by 15, way bigger in heaven. And uh, just amazing to see what God is doing. Please hear me. God has a plan. Everybody say, God has a plan. And he has a plan. And he loves you. And he's providing access for you through Jesus Christ, our King. May our prayer be on fire with the privilege we have. And all of God's people said,